0: Welcome to Ordinary People, the podcast that provides a platform and voice to ordinary people by bringing together a diverse panel to discuss and educate on the issues of today and tomorrow in a free exchange of culture, thoughts and ideas. Welcome to Ordinary People, the podcast that invites members of the community to share their thoughts and observations on the issues of today and tomorrow. My name is Peter Jones and I'm your host. I was born and raised and have lived most of my life around Birmingham. The last 30 years I've worked in the IT education sector. I'm a volunteer for Birmingham-based charities and good causes, therefore a shout out to Love Let's Feed Brum and Birmingham Civic Society. So tonight we've got so part two uh, of one of the previous recording sessions uh, around the police and the justice system and how they treat black people. Uh, I've got uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the the members from that recording and one new uh, panel guest uh, with us today. Uh, and therefore, what I want to do is go straight to Elaine. Say, Elaine, can you just introduce yourself?
1: Hi, yes, my name's Elaine White, um, born and bred in Birmingham, but recently moved to Bristol almost two years ago. I previously worked for the Ministry of Justice for the Probation Service as a trainer, rehabilitating um, men and women on the probation service in offending behaviour programmes. And now I currently work at a Ministry of Defence site as a trainer there, so observing trainers, and also delivering training to military and civilian staff.
0: Great. Elaine, uh, it's a real pleasure to have you uh, join Thank us. You. Thank you. very much. Um, can I ask, Kirk, can, would you mind just reintroducing uh, yourself very quickly to people?
2: Oh, here you go. it goes. There Fire you go. Um, retired police officer, uh, chairman of a basketball club, and uh, I still work in and around conflict to do with guns, gangs, and knives. Uh, but but the most important part to me is I'm a dad. There you yeah. go. <laughs> well said, sir. Well said. Good to have you back. Uh, Graham. Uh, yes, uh,
3: good evening, everybody. Uh, Graham Moffat. Uh, originally from uh, Birmingham, uh, moved out of the Black Country uh, in the early 90s. Um, like Kirk, uh, former police officer. Um, I suppose one of the things is that when I initially started I policed the local area where I grew up for many years. Uh, I've been retired now for seven years, uh, active locally in the community as a um, chair of governors at a local primary school and also involved in local amateur dramatics.
0: Excellent, good work. Nice to have you back to. Uh, Max.
4: Hi my name is Maxwell Cookhorn, I live in Hansworth in Birmingham um, I've been a supply teacher who specialises in maths for about uh, 15 years, uh, and I also work with kids with behavioural issues and learning difficulties. My claim to fame is that I was actually involved in a police-funded uh, anti-gun crime film in uh, 2012 called My Life, My Choice.
0: Oh,
3: excellent. You, you don't love that old Max, but yeah, <laughs> thank
5: you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Trial> star, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Uh, thanks, thanks Peter. Um, hi everyone, I'm Earl Hibbert. I uh, live near uh, or in around the Worcester area, which is Redditch. I've worked in both the recruitment and learning and development space for the last 30 years. The last uh, just over 15 have been within apprenticeships, which is where effectively uh, probably my heart lies at the moment. Really excited to be here on sort of part two. I have a burning couple of questions for both Graham and Kirk, which I've had to wait to this uh, moment to ask the question, which I'm sure we'll hear in a bit. Yeah, okay. Mm.
2: No, good, good
0: things are, are worth waiting for, Bill. I'm sure you'll agree. Okay, um, just to kick things off, I mean, we obviously covered a lot of ground in uh, the first session. I'm not gonna sort of go over everything that we, we covered. Uh, I think if uh, everyone wants to know what we covered in the, in the first session, then listen to the podcast. Um, but I wanted to just sort of hook on again uh, on an area that we probably didn't get an opportunity to expand on too much and that was one of uh, culture within the police force and judiciary and what, how, what impact that has on um, how our streets are policed and how um, the, the justice system treats you know, uh, black, Asian and large ethnic people. Um, oh. Have you got a view on the the culture or the perceived culture within the police and judiciary?
5: I do, but before I sort of um, answer that question, I'm really really curious to understand from both Graham and Kirk's perspective, um, joining the police force in the sort of 70s how they were or received or treated as both as a um, black serving officer and one uh, of Irish descent uh, I'm interested in obviously what your experience was and I'm sure the listeners will be too because I suspect that uh, if we project 10-15 years uh, into the future we know that the police force or certainly some of the police forces were sort of Almost highlighted as having institutional racism. So again, it's just reflecting on what was your experience like. I don't mind Graham Kirk.
2: I think oh, Kirk's trying. I to. was going to say Graham because because you see in Graham's family there are two legends. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's his old man and there's him. Yeah. So so that in essence you you take us. In terms of, like, history, yeah, from your dad's time to your time, because you would have known. Yeah. Because you joined after your dad, and then you will know what the score is. And and his dad was a legend, you see. When I went to Sutton Coalfield, I, his dad was one of the first names I heard there. So there you <laughs> go. Oh, just, it's, it's not my dad, it's my uncle. Your uncle, is it? Noel?
3: <laughs> yeah, Uncle Noel. Oh, um, so, no, 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 uh, Noel's my <laughs> uncle. So just to... Um, Put you in the picture, my uncle Noel was a, a licensee uh, and he was a licensee in and around Birmingham from the, the late 50s through until about early 2004 when he retired. I'm, so, um, I'm
5: still waiting for my question. <laughs>
3: right, the, the, the question that there is, is that um, I did encounter some hostility. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, racism as such. Um, but again, sort of going back to parents' history, both my mom and dad, Irish Catholic, came over to Birmingham in the nineteen um, fifties. Uh, initially, um, they had uh, sort of like low paid jobs, um, and then from working in the in the community, they went to work on the uh, the buses in and around Birmingham for um, for a number of uh, a number of years. Um, so when I joined the um, West Midlands Police, um, it was uh, late 1983, 84 when I first went out to, um, to a station. Um, at the time, um, where I did get sort of hostility from people within the, within the job. Um, it was from people who had been in service during the time of the Irish pub bombings um, and also the, um, the IRA bombing campaign across the, um, the mainland. Um, and on top of that, quite a lot of the officers that um, were working within West Midlands Police, again at the time, um, were people who had served in the military and again many had served out in, in Northern Ireland. So I did get um, a little bit of hostility in relation to <clears throat> to being Irish and also in particular being Irish Catholic. Um, <clears throat> there would be sort of name calling, um, you know, bog trotter, Fenian, Paddy, Mick. Um, I suppose the the time that it sort of brought home to me on occasions the the fact that, and again, perhaps indirectly, the racism. Um, towards myself. Um, But as I said, when I started in the police, the area I worked was the area I grew up. So Spark Hill, Hall Green, Acox Green, Tisley, all around there. Um, Mom and dad had lots of of friends and family in and around the area. Um, And on a couple of occasions, Spark Hill police station on the Stratford Road uh, was one of the police stations that, um, that we covered. Uh, And on occasions, I would get contacted by the control room um, and asked to to go to the front office at um, Sparkhill Police Station. Uh, And normally it was when one officer in particular was on duty um, and he had a a massive dislike of the the Irish community. Um, And if anybody presented themselves at the front counter, um, as soon as they, they spoke, and it was obvious that they were Irish, um, he didn't want to have anything to do with them. Um, so I would get called down. Um, and as soon as I walked through the door, I was met with, oh, it's one of your lot at the front of the counter, you'll have to deal with him or her. Isn't that it's
5: not- funny that they didn't choose to actually sort of deal with the issue? I know it was obviously different times. It's funny that they chose not to deal with the issue rather than yeah. you know, circumvent it by asking you to sort of step in.
3: Yeah, Yeah. But then I suppose the other interesting side to it is is that, um, again, the fact that I policed an area that I grew up with. Uh, on occasions when I was out uh, and dealing with jobs and would turn up at an address um, <clears throat> where an Irish family lived, uh, on occasions I got quite a lot of hostility from them well, because of the fact that they, as soon as Moffitt's quite an unusual surname, the first question would be, are you any relation to Paddy or Noel Moffat? And as soon as I said yes... Um, it was basically, oh, so you're a traitor then. You know, what are you doing in the uh, in the British police force? Uh, what's wrong with you? Um, so, you know, there's the, the, that element to it as well. Having said that, it wasn't, I would imagine, anywhere near the um, the issues that uh, that Kirk uh, had to deal with.
5: Okay. Do, do you know what, that's really... And uh, thanks for obviously sort of uh, being so candid and honest. And I think... What it kind of highlights is that uh, you must have had a real determination and passion to succeed in the role, uh, because I think, that uh, you know, uh, different people may not have been able to deal with that experience, but I, I suppose that then catapults us into 2020 with the issues that uh, black people uh, yeah. experience, because obviously sort of their colour and everything, so yeah, yeah it's... Yeah,
3: I mean, I think one of, the, one of the things, I suppose, from early on, 1974, when they had the pub bombings, I was 11, and I can remember um, we would go shopping down the Stratford Road in Spark Hill, Sparkbrook. Um, my mum wouldn't want to talk to any of the cashiers um, or any of the um, people serving in the shops, again, because of the fact she had a very strong Irish accent. Uh, and on occasions um, initially when she had, as soon as somebody heard an Irish accent, they were very sort of anti and on occasion said, we don't want you in the shop, you'll have to get out. Um, So I think from, that was sort of a a bit of a thing where, that spurred me to later in life, join the police, um, to to sort of be able to almost help the Irish community within within um, Birmingham. But then I suppose the other thing as well, it also gave me experience when I went on to the counter-terrorism, um, the fact that um, with everything that was going on with Al-Qaeda, um, with the fact that um, it was sort of Islam that was being blamed for all of the terrorist attacks taking place, is the fact that, again, the vast majority of the um, Islamic community very peaceful. Um, however, again, they always felt very vulnerable because of the actions of a small number of people which is what mom and dad experienced back in the early 70s and through to the 80s uh, again a small minority of irish people who were causing um problems for for the vast majority of people okay, okay thank
5: you peter i'm very conscious that i've uh, just monopolized <laughs> the last 10 minutes so um
0: yeah i uh, i i think um you know uh, Relevant good points there, I think, and um, you know, thank you, Graham, for, for, for sharing that with us. If we get, go back to the, the issue of, sort of culture within the police force and the judiciary, um, I, I want to sort of ask Elaine, actually, because you're uh, probably closer to those organisations than anybody uh, uh, on, the, uh, on, on the session tonight. Um, what, what's your view about culture within those, those organisations?
1: Um, There has been some recognition that people of colour, men or women, haven't necessarily got um, to the higher grade, shall we say, where they are making those decisions. So I know from experience that there has been programmes put in place to try and encourage uh, people from black and ethnic minorities to actually become managers or, you know, higher up the ranks, so to speak, Mm -hmm. to try and represent um, all cultures and all nations, but still a long way to go. Um, So the culture as well, um, some of the uh, attitudes, very deep seated. So again, that's taken a long time to try and break down those walls, those barriers, attitudes and how they get filtered through because some of the newer people coming in are having to then, bow down some of these attitudes and cultures and that's holding them back they can't actually express or do things the way they want because of the situation that they're in so they can't progress because of some of the attitudes and cultures that are already ingrained within the system.
0: Are you saying that they, they are they not applying for um, pr- promotions do they feel that they wouldn't be considered or they've been intentionally held back do you think?
1: It's a bit of both. Some are potentially held back because they're seen as too radical almost. And, you know, you can't do that here sort of thing. So, it's, again, attitudes come in in terms of don't want to embrace new ideas to an extent. So they're being held back. And on the other hand, some people are like, do you know what, I know I'm not going to get the chance. So don't even bother to apply. So it works in both in both areas there.
0: Thanks, Lane, for that. I mean, I, I just want to share um, some, some sort of details with uh, with everyone. Um, I, I looked at the organisation of the chief constables, uh, which have 43, uh, no, it's actually it's, um, 70, 79 uh, chief constables in, in, in the UK. Uh, would anyone be surprised that there are no um, black, Asian, or minority mon- ethnic chief constables in the UK?
1: Uh, I
2: think that, nope. That's now yeah, yeah. <laughs> because when you when you look back, right, the first and only ever chief constable was Michael Fuller. Mm. Uh, uh, Michael ended up in Kent, yeah, uh, uh, which is a really small area for a chief constable, and and you'll find him on LinkedIn and the like, and he will tell his own story. There have been chief officers because um yeah a number of chief officers not many at all who when i say chief officers you're talking from the rank of a well in the met they would call it commander Mm -hmm. but in the in the rest it would be assistant chief constable and upwards and but you tend to only ever have maybe one yeah and and of those chief officers they've been mainly asian as opposed to black, yeah? Now, I'll tell you where I'm coming from. So, I joined in the mid-70s, yeah? And in the mid-70s, it it was a time when you would have thought, like, never. And and I know all about what you were were saying there, Graham, about, because I joined, and I I recall being in Steelhouse Lane Canteen on the day they brought the six in, yeah? Yeah. I was there, and, and saw the regional it was. Yeah. talk about serious it wasn't it was the regional crime squad who were involved in that and i saw that the way they were and what you described in terms of um of the way that you were treated is very very similar to how black officers were treated yeah. but black officers would not have quacked that the irish were being treated the same yeah we knew there was something yeah <clears throat> but you didn't see it in terms of color yeah yeah you didn't see the racism But you knew there was something because of what was being said. But going back to the chief officer thinking about where it is now, it's it's ever so simple because people bring it into things like the terms unconscious bias and institutional racism, which are both excuses. You can only use but once. Because once you know, it's no longer longer unconscious yet. Or indeed, institutional. But if you look at the police service in the way that you look at, let's take institutional racism, for instance. Right. Uh, When Stephen Lawrence died, I was part of a group that looked at racism in the police service. Yeah? Naturally. And we looked at the Policy Studies Institute to determine what was happening in terms of promotion. You could have, two officers join the police service, yeah? And I think it's going to be very similar for all public authorities. Mm -hmm. Right, two, one black or Asian, one ethnic minority and one white, yeah? They join the service. They take the exam on the same day. They would pass with exactly the same um, marks. They would go to their interview boards and get the same grades. But what would happen, from Sergeant to Constable in police service, What happened was it could take up to 18 months longer for the ethnic minority officer to be promoted. Yeah. And that was from PC to Sergeant, 12 months from Inspector, uh, Sergeant to Inspector. And then when you looked at it and said, well, how can this be? Because more often than not, the minority officer had entered the police service with better qualifications. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Than their white counterparts. But so, then, so, so, what was the reason for the? the yeah, I don't know, soon you're going to get up to this, but I'm I've really eager to know, to know right what was right the, the reason. Okay, cool. I'm coming to it right now. Right. When we looked at why, why was this was happening, and what happened was they had a list, and on this list, they would say to a superintendent or, yeah, on a, on a divi- uh, an OCU division or whatever, like, have a look at this list. All these people have got through, who do you want? Yeah? And they'd say, I'll have him, him and him who were going to be predominantly white. And because they work with them, they picked the best. And that's what happened. But but then you say to yourself, does racism feature here? But when you've asked yourself all the questions, it must be that. And so, and we saw that and we, I mean, I I did a lot of work around the race equality schemes and all of that. And you could say that it was a police service so steeped in its old culture that he didn't clock it, but was being racist. But then by 2010, and I'm going to tell you it like it is, guys, the Conservative Party took that thought away. Right. Yeah? Because they said, we've had too much of PC. Hmm. I'm telling you. And that's where, why we are where we are
5: today. I really believe that. Uh, uh, <laughs> Kirk, yeah. do you think some of that was around, uh, I suppose, thinking about... Uh, raising a grievance or a complaint, was it a, an environment that would have um, embraced that or was it a case of, look, you know what, I don't like this, but I just need to put up with it and uh, bide my time? You've only got to ask yourself
2: who, who was investigating it. Yeah? Who who, who would take on Good the... point. <laughs> yeah? Who was? And, and that would not be officers of colour. No. When, when, when I was, uh, uh, and you will know, I was chair of the Black and Asian Police Association. And the chief constable, Paul Scott Lee, brought me to his office and said, I want you to have the gravitas to go and knock on the door of these um, borough commanders, yeah, who where these kids were making the same complaints, that I'm not being treated in the same way. And I did, yeah. And he said, you've got the gravitas to do that. And, you know, punching above my weight, might, one might think. But the, the truth was was this. When you spoke to those officers who were making those decisions, they couldn't tell you why. Yeah? So it's locked in that subconsciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah? They honestly couldn't tell you why. Some were decent people. Some were Muppets. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. Regardless of their rank. Yeah? But the truth is, they actually couldn't tell you why. But what was happening was this. Yeah? And the, the challenges for us all most ethnic minority officers would leave. Right. So, so the good guys and uh, and good women that were involved in the police service would choose to just leave and say, I can't take it, and, and what's the point of whatever. And then and then realistically, and I will still say this, we got to a position where we were doing quite well in terms of race equality, and then we had a change of government, and it all just turned back backwards overnight and it really did. He went totally backwards and that's why today, because one of my, it hurts me, because I know good coppers that have not gone through the ranks. There are more, don't get me wrong, there are more, but not at the level that you really should be. And
0: what uh, they- so, Go sorry, uh, I no, just, just want to sort of go, go back to something you, you you've just said. About uh, the good men and women would 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 leave the the the, the, the service, and uh, obviously we've got Elaine on the uh, on, on the session tonight. And you know, is, is your experience as a woman is that coloured differently because you're a woman? Do,
2: do you... it's,
1: it's, it's even more difficult. Right. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely more difficult. Um, again, you've got the stereotypes: a woman can't do that kind of job, mm. um, along with the colour issue. So again, women find it uh, triply hard, if I can say that. Um, mm. Definitely hold back a lot more. And, and again, you know, a lot of women don't even apply, don't even bother because it's like, I know I'm not going to get it anyway. So what's the point? Going back yeah. to what um, Kirk was saying earlier on. And it all stems from what I can, from my perspective, is power and control. Mm. So if you look at power and control, they'll give you so much to think, to keep you where they want you, and then let it go. So they'll get you to a certain place just to keep you going. It's like dangling that carrot. So that power of control wheel, you know, they'll give you a bit of, bit of control. And when it starts to get, oh, they rise up the ranks, put those blocks in the way. So then it stops you then from progressing further. So as a, as a black female, definitely mm. um, tough. You've got to prove your worth.
0: And, and how, yes. did you, how, how did you sort of drive yourself th- th- you know, through that experience? What, what kept you going?
1: For me, uh it's about wanting to help others. You know, I'm really passionate uh, in everything that I do in terms of helping others, but also representing as well, getting my perspective across, but also representing my community as well. That that's what that's the driving force behind me. You know, I'm like, do you know what? I'm gonna prove you wrong. Uh, being a sportswoman as well, playing basketball, I'm very competitive. Anyone that knows me knows I'm very competitive. And if you say I can't, I'm gonna show you I can.
5: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Elaine, <laughs> Elaine, quick question. What what are you mentioned um, blocks? What what are some of the blocks then that from you perceive and are there, whether they're physical or um
1: going back to what was said earlier in terms of if there's an offer for promotion, not getting it and being given really poor and lame excuses why when you know that you've done better than the person that's got it. Favouritism, you know, as we said earlier on, people know certain people, so you know straight away they're going to give right. it to their mate or their friend. Um, so, yeah, all the things that have been said already I've experienced. Right. Yeah, what are yeah, the pain, pain, things... So,
2: so, so, go on, go ahead. Can I say, Elaine, it's veiled though, isn't it? It's like oh, it's a yeah. veil, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. you don't... You, you know it's there... But the way that he's veiled, um, and and, this is about British, racism in Britain is not like South Africa, the United States, yeah? It's not the same. It's the veil, and the veil will take you.
1: I I have to say that veil is being um, taken off, because if you look at power, who's in power now, and some of their policies and procedures, those veils aren't being so hidden. It's It's quite clear now.
2: Yeah, now it's become worse. I'm with you yeah. because yeah. because the move to the right in terms of politics allows mm. people to get rid of what they call, you know, political correctness is bad. Yeah, and they mm. can say what they think. But but I, I I do believe this as well though is that when I when I look at uh, and it has to be female and I'll, I'll tell you why. If you look at the rise when we looked at the um, the the issue of color, yeah. What we actually saw at that time, this is Stephen Lawrence's time, yeah, was it was women as well, very much women as a whole. But what happened then was there was a real push to get women there, but that did not include black women. It just didn't, I swear. And if you look at senior officers, and, Graham, you will know this, yeah? Yeah. In the job now. If you look at senior officers, it simply went from the white man, yeah, to yeah. the white woman, gender yeah. has played its issue as well.
3: Massively, yeah.
2: Exactly. And when I say gender, and this is, li- listen, um, this is to say that the reality of it was, the fear around uh, sexuality, yeah, right? Yeah. Made people took over backwards. But the one person that has lost out in all of that She's the black woman. black
1: woman? definitely. I want
0: to. I want to read you some figures here, just to substantiate your point, Kirk. Actually, so if we go through uh, five organisations, yeah, the uh, the chief constables um, of of the UK, of which there's 79, going to the figures that I've seen on the uh, the colour of power
2: report. Chief officers, yeah. Chief, all... chief constables.
0: <laughs>
3: no, there, there's, there's only forty-two police forces, so there's only one chief constable for each force. Yeah, oh, well, I so appreciate.
0: Sure.
3: You'll have a few other things like um, British Transport Police, Nuclear Police, Ministry of Defence Police, and the Scottish Police. But um, I wouldn't say that there's seventy-nine chief constables.
2: Uh, the okay. <laughs> assistant chief constables, deputy chief constables, yeah. and commanders in the yeah. and the <laughs> chief officers, yeah. You're
0: absolutely right, there are 43, there are 36 males, seven females, um, of which 43 are white, i.e. there are no, there's no black or Asian or minority ethnic representation in there. In the police and crime commissioners uh, uh, report, there are are 42 positions again, 33 male, nine female. Uh, of which 41 are white and one from the BAME community. Uh, I'll go to Supreme Court judges, uh, 10 male, two female, all 12 are white. Uh, The uh, members of the Defence Council for the Armed Forces, uh, eight male, one female, all white. It's all a coincidence, Pete. (laughs) That's that's, that's, that's clearly what I'm I'm reading. if you know, yes. I you know, include the heads of the intelligence agencies. Of those um, five agencies, there is one BAME representative. <laughs> is, is that systematic of those organizations and the culture that we are trying to look at and, and I guess change and change leadership and influence uh, in those institutions to change the culture? in those institutions. Max, I mean, we've not heard from you yet, Max, so should we have any concern about those figures that I've just read out and the lack of black, Asian, minority, minority mon- mon- ethnic representation?
4: Um, in, I know that there was a race disparity audit that was uh, held and took place in 2017, where they discussed collecting and sharing good quality data on criminal um, On the criminal records with regards to uh, race and ethnicity and they wanted to set up a system of collecting good quality data so they had that to use it in order to be able to decipher if there is statistically provable racism within their systems. Um, We're talking about the crime and justice systems, uh, court systems and all that kind of thing. Mm. Um, There were some really good um, suggestions made Um, investigating um, yeah basically they were talking about committing to explain or change uh, which was a policy where they um, where disproportionate outcomes were identified then obviously uh, leadership and management and operational staff were to review the policies and have them changed in order to remove uh, the end outcome of that disproportional outcome So the point that I'm trying to get to is they've they've got um, audits, they've got reports, they've got brilliant ideas, they know how to get the solutions. Uh, In this particular case, I'm aware that it all landed on Theresa May's desk. Um, I think it must have been 2008, not long before she left, and essentially a a report came out and the report was completely not a hogwash. It was basically taking all that data that they collected and writing it as a report, despite the fact that the build up to that had actually said, right, if we're getting all this data and the outcomes are not satisfactory, then the solution ought to be that we have a strategy in order to change or improve those outcomes. So literally, the only thing that was suggested was change and the report was nothing.
0: So, the, the, I mean, the figures I've just read out in terms of the you know, representation uh, doesn't, doesn't su- suggest change. What it does suggest is massive under-representation. Now, do we make a causal link that under-representation uh, equals uh, unconscious bias, potential racism, uh, a lack of opportunity
4: for for individuals? Can, can we make that assumption? I think because it's all I of that think yeah, Sorry. Sorry, when you've got enough circumstantial evidence, when circumstantial evidence is is repeatedly being put in front of you again and again and again, and you refuse to see a causal link, then I think you're going into the realms of ignorance. But that's my own personal opinion on that one. Okay, great.
0: What what would? Sorry, Elaine,
1: you were going to say? Yeah, I was saying it's certainly not unconscious bias they fully aware of this situation. It's conscious.
5: it's conscious, isn't it? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Most
1: definitely conscious. Definitely okay. not unconscious. It's a, it's a, it's a conscious decision. Well, it's known. Again, so, why would report be? Uh, why would there have to be a report? They know it exists, hmm. but the choice is not to do anything about it. So it's definitely not unconscious.
0: Great. Do Do you think that you know with with, with this? You um, want sure to call it evidence that there is massive under-representation uh, in the positions of leadership and influence in those type of organisations. Can we, can we confidently make that causal link to the fact that the culture uh, is one of, as we've I guess, all, all agreed, conscious bias? Um, I think,
3: and probably Kirk will back me up on this, um, an awful lot. Certainly, I'm talking about the police, but I can see it being represented across the the board. An awful lot of the issue is whether or not your face fits. Yeah. Um, and um, I've seen some very, very talented uh, white officers not get promoted because their their face doesn't fit.
5: What does um, that mean, Graham? What does that mean in? Um, I think
3: a lot of it is is the fact that um, the police and a lot of other organisations. Um, is very much along the lines of the old boy network and who yeah. you know. I'll, I would definitely agree and, with you on that. You can see it with this current government at the moment. The leaders have surrounded themselves with people that are the same as them. Um, and you'd see that certainly within the police force particularly within specialist departments, where individuals got in because they were at the same golf club, they went to the same Masonic Lodge, they played football together, um, they drank in the same places. Um, And that was a culture that had gone on. And I think that is why there isn't that representation um, at a higher level, not just within the police, but within other organisations. But then I suppose one of the questions is is, is whether or not, is it, is it a case that people from um, well, black um, ethnic minorities, have they wanted to go for promotion? Because, again, there's an awful lot of people within the police who join the police and are more than happy to stay as PCs. Um, they don't particularly want to um, go further up the the... The ladder, because the reason they joined the police was to help the community, and quite a lot of them don't have any interest in um, in getting promoted. I, so I would, I, yeah, I would,
0: or... I, I would, I would sort of believe that if if I thought that you know you could only help the community if you stayed at that level, mm. surely yeah. um, if the, the, the higher up the ranks that you go, the more influence that you can have on community policing, community relations at a at a lower level, you haven't got that level of inference. Yes, you can go around and give uh, a, a really good impression of yourself yeah. and of the uniform, etc. But in terms of implementing community based programmes and outreach and things like that, I mean that's got to come from a higher position. If you're not in that position right, and espousing I, yeah. those,
5: I, those I, sentiments, I, I that, I, I, I that, agree. that comes from really? Uh, Sorry, one sec, Kirk. I wonder how much of this, what you've just said, Graham, in terms of wanting to set, um, I suppose, uh, police officer, le- police constable level. I wonder how much of that is framed around perceived barriers about mm. getting to that next level. Mm. So maybe conversely, thinking, well, I'm going to stay as a sort of a police constable because yeah. I have no chance of progressing uh, based on history or face yeah. fitting, as you've mentioned. Yeah.
0: Yeah. that sounds very simplistic. Fair. yeah I mean you know it, it, you know if you said that for, for me personally you if you, you want know, to go back 20 30 years and say that
2: then yeah, I'll, I'll be inclined to agree I, I, in, I, I, I don't agree I, I'll tell you why cool. right right there are there are some chiefs because I know what you said about non being white in that but there's, there's a boy in the West Midlands that is not in that figures yeah. That, that actually, you know I'm on about uh, um, Graham, what's his name? Is it CTU now? Uh, uh, Matt Ward. Matt Ward, right. Let me just tell you, it's about class. Hmm. If you can get, if you go to the right school, hmm. you go to the right universities, and I'm talking red brick, yeah? Yeah. If you are black, you can get on so this argument goes way back okay and 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 I and I say this because the most most important role in the police service to get a job done is the rank of sergeant because they actually buy into the fact that this sergeant knows the people on the ground and they also know the senior officers you will not see that outside of the police service you won't But if you've got a job, and you know what I'm talking about, major investigation, yeah? yeah? The DS runs everything. And so those on high come down and speak to the DS. In terms of promotion and getting up the rank, it's about people who go to the same schools everywhere, same as Parliament, the same Mm -hmm. schools, the same universities. And then you will find that, because the man I'm talking about, he is a first... From Cambridge, he's gone all the way. I have my own feelings as to whether or not he's competent, mm. but he's got he's gone all the way, and I think that class plays its part. The problem with class is, is that the uh, black community don't feature, and and that's I honestly tell you, I live in a, I live in Knoll. yeah, it's lovely, it's brilliant, and everybody around here is supposed to have money regardless of how big your out is, yeah? yeah? And people think of you in a certain way. And that is the UK. And so all I will say is this, is that when you go back to the police service and, and all public authorities and the like, class is playing a major part. The problem is the black community don't feature where class is concerned. It's so we're talking to... about a
0: race and a class barrier then, oh, that black, that, that, black that, people, yeah. black people you, have to you, overcome.
2: You, look at your politicians. Look at the people who are in government now. Who, who People were on the periphery, except for one woman, yeah, of the cabinet. Then look at their schools and look at their backgrounds. That's why they are there. And for the black community to get above that is, is desperately hard, as it, as it were. But it is that. I know that my, ch- my children, because they live in Knoll, have doors open to them more so than a kid from Handsworth or Lizelle's or Newtown. Yeah. And that's, that's and, and they're mixed race kids, admittedly, yeah? But the truth of the matter is, it's both. It really is. But when I look at some um, chief officers, listen, most chief constables I haven't got a clue what's going on. Other people make the decisions by the time it gets to them, yeah? It's <coughs> already happened, yeah? So we have to change us as a nation for this to work. And And literally the only way that will be for me is bottom up because the police service when I joined it, the kid that was born on the Lunti estate in Bilston, where where I grew up, could actually be a chief superintendent, and head of CID. Right. That is not going to happen today. That's the truth. Right. That's what it was like in the seventies. You know what I'm on about, right? Yeah, they could. Yeah. I swear, they could, you Everybody joined exactly the same rank. Everybody had to do the. The same job, and, and, and people actually got to the top. That stopped in the 90s, in the, in, in the early 2000s. Now, literally, if you don't go to the right uni,
5: uni and have that, that degree, that degree. And that's know. a real shame, because that massively disadvantages uh, such yeah. a huge percentage of the sort of, uh, population who aren't as academically obviously yeah. sort of strong. Uh, it's it, it just is yeah it's injustice it really is but it you, know, is. you go, going back to your question about what you know what do these stats tell us it's not a case of if it's a case of can we actually change the sort of direction can we change the narrative can we change the thought process because this isn't just policing it's also in major, major organizations so, so the,
0: the, the it's it's the question of how as, as well. Yeah, mm. how how do we do it? I mean, uh, I don't, I, 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 Elaine. I mean, you've you've worked in these organisations. You've experienced, um, if you want, uh, bias from the case of uh, race and being, being 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 a woman. Is is there a pathway that you see as a way to change the culture uh, that we've been discussing tonight and and uh, the way in which these cultures, the cultures within these organisations have held black people and women especially back. Is there a pathway that, you know, you've... you've...
1: Yeah, I mean, I know when I want to speak to you before, um, I talked about, uh, certainly in the Ministry of uh, Justice, that put this programme together to encourage, you know, people from black and ethnic uh, minorities to become managers and leaders and so forth. Um, but again, it is really changing those attitudes from those above and as Zordi said earlier on, um, it's almost breaking in that circle and when somebody does from a, a black or ethnic minority, it's the pressure of if they make decisions
0: mm.
1: and things don't go to plan, they come down a lot harder than if it was somebody uh, from a white background pressure from within the organisation, pressure from their community. So for me, from my perspective, I think it's going to take a long time Um, because, again, you can't just change attitudes overnight. Mm. We know going back years and years and years, the attitudes are still there. If it's been there for hundreds of years, it's not going to change. So, so
0: what you just said just reminded me of uh, you know the, the thing that my mother used to tell I me, mean, I'm sure you know everyone's parents on here probably told me that you've got to work twice as hard uh, yeah. as your white counterpart, uh, yeah, in in in, in order to, uh, to, to 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 get on or to get yeah you know, to the same position yeah. sort of thing. So,
1: and it's uh, you know it's funny because with my surname being as it is, and I've been to interview and expecting a white person, and sometimes the look you get, and you're like, "Yep, i So you know, away before being, Sorry.
5: I think we've had a similar conversation. Um, yeah. Previously, where you know you you talk to obviously a contact, they've rightly or wrongly whatever they've assumed uh, and mm. made a, a judgment about who you are. You turn up in person. And yep. you can see that look of puzzlement yep. on their face,
1: thinking, yep. "Are you, are you Earl?" <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, but you know what? One thing that's going to interest me is um, with the cuts and the funding going from police and uh, the Ministry of Justice and Defence, and some of the recruits that are now coming in, mm. quite young look about 12 or 13 how that's <laughs> going to impact then in future generations so yeah. i don't know whether that's going to make a, a difference in terms of um people in higher places because if the recruits coming in now in you know 20 30 years time how's that going to impact so that'll be interesting
0: are you saying that they've, they've got a, 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 a different attitude in coming look, looking at sort of race and gender uh, yeah. from it in, in, a, in a totally different way
1: in some cases, yes, <laughs> because <laughs> people that are joining now haven't necessarily come from, I say, the most privileged backgrounds. Yeah. So whether that will make a difference in 20, 30 years' time, it, it remains to be seen.
0: Okay. Listen, so we're, we're, we're almost sort of coming to the end of uh, of this session. What I'd like to get from, from all of you um, is, in terms of a way forward, and I know that Kirk introduce the concept of a, a Royal Commission but you know we, we, we can't uh, you know order a Royal Commission like we'd order a takeaway I guess mm-hmm. that has to come from um, you know areas or, or people of influence and power that you know, we, we probably don't know but in, in, in terms of envisaging uh, a, a pathway for change if there is something that you could change within those services police you know, military judiciary, in order to just change the look of that, you know, the, the leadership team and get some representation in there that could represent people of colour and maybe affect some change and make people feel a little bit comfortable about going for those jobs, going for a promotion, feeling confident they're going to get a fair shake at those promotions. What, what what would that be? What would you? What would be the one thing that you would? like to implement? Let's start with, Greg, let's start with you. Um, I think some of it would be
3: in relation to, there's too much emphasis put on uh, on education. Mm. Some of the best people that I've worked with, um, <clears throat> if they're lucky, have had two O levels. Um, unfortunately now there, there's this big drive that everybody who joins the the police and other organisations needs to have as a very bare minimum um, a degree um, unfortunately I'm sure Kirk will back me up as anybody uh, Elaine may as well the fact that just because somebody's got a degree um, sometimes they're you know they haven't got a ounce of common sense um, and in a lot of the public sector service common sense is that is the big thing um, you know an ability to make an informed decision um, you know that having that sort of, again, an educational barrier is putting a a lot off because, you know, again, you look at the the, the fact that um, black males, again, haven't got the best educational records. Um, When you look Mm -hmm. at the the, the figures, the fact that they don't do as well um, at exams uh, results as um, women and uh, white counterparts. Um, so again, that's a, a barrier and there's, there's people who haven't got, aren't particularly academic, but have all of the skills necessary to work in public sector, whether it be the, the National Health Service, whether it be probation, whether it be the, the police, and particularly if they've got a calling in that direction. Unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of talented people that won't be in. So my change would be have a look at the individual rather than the individual's academic
0: yeah. qualifications. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Graham. That's a
4: really good idea. Max, any thoughts? Yeah, um, going back to the race disparity uh, audit, they suggested um, transparent and evidence-based recruitment practices that build a pipeline for underrepresented groups. Sounds like a totally legitimate and good idea. Um, Sorry, can you just repeat that for me? again. Transparent yeah. and... Transparent and evidence-based recruitment practices that build a pipeline of underrepresented groups Okay, all right So So so. the the point being that the answer is not really a simple one But if you go on evidence and if you go on outcomes Then uh, you use your strategies in order to achieve uh, improved uh, outcomes And therefore you can provide the evidence that you're doing the right thing or moving in the right direction again and again and again I think these similar kind of suggestions come up and they don't get uh, fulfilled and that's the problem
0: okay fear of the unknown I guess and um, having a a paradigm we want to sort of stick stick with it yeah
2: okay thank you Um, Kirk you know what I'm going to say (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, Royal Commission (laughs) <laughs> the Royal Commission doesn't necessarily have to be on policing. And the fact is this, is that we, the people, yeah, can push towards having a Royal Commission if we get in touch. Right now, you would ask that to be done through the Labour Party. yeah, to mm-hmm. say to them, this is what, what's required. And this is for diversity in all public authorities. And I say this because you can do a million of inquiries and the like. But only a Royal Commission can make the government do what it needs to do. And, I mean, for me, for me, it has to be that, because I don't see anything changing. The status quo will remain the same. So you're saying that there, there is a
0: process that ordinary people can actually uh, be part of in order to, to, to get the... The, uh, the concept of a royal commission kind of like kick-started via the Labour Party. That's what there, I think.
2: there needs to be a royal commission around public authorities.
5: Okay.
2: Not just the police service. Because yeah. when, when we think about um, those people that control us, they are public authorities. Mm. All of them, be, uh, because we're coming out of the EU, is going to, to hurt us. But all of them are absolutely responsible. The only way that we can do it is something that actually says that when they've done the investigations and the like these are the recommendations and they've got to do it yeah mm. if you go to an an inquiry like McPherson for instance mm. they will give you recommendations that you that you can undertake and remember what I said you can undertake recommendations right the, the, the inquiry I'm talking about is totally different to that. It's the only way to change the UK, honestly and truly. I really believe that. We fight in the meantime. Yeah. We really do. But that's the only way. Other than that, I can't see it. It will be. Russell Group Universities rule the world. Right. Yeah? yeah, And your best mate will, will just continue on.
0: What, well, we, we may need to nominate you as team leader in, in terms of the Royal Commission. We're uh, yeah, yeah. we're we going we go well, to start it. well and, Yeah, we'll get me, you on Me a, and Tom Coughlin have been talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we, we'll get you on a tour, uh, you know, touring the major cities in terms of the UK and uh, explain how everyone can uh, can participate. Um, but, you, but may. I'm, I'm mm.
1: <laughs> you know what, Graham made a really good point in terms of the recruitment process. Um, totally agree with that, in terms of you know what shouldn 't be about how many degrees you 've got and what you know um university you went to that should not be a a feature or factor um, so definitely the recruitment process, mm-hmm. but also I say get rid of all those at the top <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, uh, no, cool.
1: um, get, some, um, get some young fresh blood in <laughs> that represents <laughs> our society
2: <laughs> right. Well, I you're think saying. you're right, though, Elaine. You know what? You know the youngsters today. There is going to be a massive shift. Yeah, I really, really believe and that. And That's what I feel, really. I, 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 I'm with you. I really believe that. Uh, when I look at my own children, and I look at their friends, and I look at the way that people think today, there will be a, mani- a massive shift. It won't be there with you know before I um, you mm-hmm. know shuffle off this mortal coil. But the reality is, is that there is going to be a shift because kids are more in keeping with each other than that all that stuff that, you know, kids mm-hmm. in the 50s, 60s and 70s have to really grow up with. I really I really do believe that. And I'll tell Rhianne Bailey that you said this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Rhianne Bailey. Think well, it's I also... quite,
4: sorry, I think it's quite interesting because a lot of people, I think, agree with you on, on that kind of thinking. But yet you hear a lot of rhetoric about how the young are this and that, and it tends to be negative. And yet there is a lot of unity, uh, a lot of issues and problems for the young uh, that they share uh, an understanding and an experience of.
1: Mm. Oh, yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. You can't say all younger this way or all younger that way. certainly agree with you on that. But as a starting point, I do really feel strongly about getting rid of some of those that have that power. You know, that's the, the main way that we're going to make change. But also we need to look at when some of these instance, instances occur, a lot of these people are still getting paid. Mm. they have been, you know, dismissed, but still getting paid whilst inst- investigations are happening. They shouldn't That shouldn't be the case. If that's anybody else, it'd be instant dismissal. So it mm. should be a fair process when there are instances that that person isn't paid, you know, and... But- when there are inquiries, it shouldn't be taking months years it needs to be okay this is this needs to be investigated and dealt with so the only way of change can going to happen as well is rather than having these long drawn out processes for investigations and so forth it needs to be a lot uh, a lot more quick uh, a lot more quick but more more quickly.
0: Yeah I, I, I dare say that the, the end of the time that these inquiries take uh, is partly down to a lot of backside covering in yeah. the process um, yeah. So
5: yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, I've left you till last. The best till last.
5: <laughs> Do you know, um, I think one of the fundamental changes that could be quite impactive um, could be to look at both the recruitment. An assessment process I think uh, Graham touched on it mm-hmm. you know starting to consider apprenticeship levels the same uh, equivalent as university degrees and then not be that snobbery around well actually you've done the apprenticeship rather go into a, a named University and I guess my final point is I wonder whether some of those really uh, difficult assessment centers recruitment processes are intentionally put in place to prevent people from applying in the first place
1: oh Oh, yeah
5: yeah i think there's
3: uh, just touching on that subject i think that, that again there's a bit of an issue a lot of these recruitment centers the people that um take part from the from the organizational side of things again through a little bit of human nature are always looking for people who they think oh do you know what reminds me of me so they're yeah. ideal for the job and then they'll see somebody go i'd never do that um so we're not going to <clears throat> offer them a, a, a post and that person could be 10 times better than yeah. the person who they go well do you know what yeah they're a bit like me we'll we'll uh, we'll put them through
4: just yes. following on, just following on from that point uh, artificial intelligence the programmers that program artificial intelligence are biased by their own experience or by their own ethnicities. And therefore, they found now that artificial intelligence is biased. <laughs> <laughs>
5: and but who's and being and programmed by? Wow.
4: It's a program that learns, but it's learned to be biased.
5: But who's in the first
4: place? Yeah. Sorry, I, I can't hear you. <laughs> no, someone said you needed an IQ test, Max,
0: I think.
2: No, no, <laughs> what I'm telling you, it's exactly the same for the IQ test that we use. Yeah, a, yeah. biased. Which is potentially prepared by Europeans. Yeah? yeah? So learning styles and all that come into it don't mean anything. Yeah. And yet you have you, you know, if you were to take it from an African context, the IQ test would be different. But that's not the one we've adopted, yeah. And 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 I agree with you. AI, it's, it's it's. If you go back to the pandemic, yeah, you put in what you want to get out. Amen.
0: Listen, <laughs> we're we 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 are out of time now. Um, just just as a, as a wrap up, I just wanted to uh, just go back to something Graham said about um, you know, if you remove the uh, education as a barrier, uh, you'll find that you know uh, the individuals have the if you want the core cool skills to, to do a lot of the, you know, the, 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 the jobs that they're being um, um, kept from. And, and I'll just scribble down a couple of a few roles, actually, that I, I guess are very prevalent in the, just in the criminal uh, fraternity. Yeah. Sales and marketing, you know, there, there, there's a lot of that, you know. Um, yeah. uh, distribution and logistics, you know. We, we know that they're good at that, Yeah. Yeah. Warehousing. Uh, another, another skill recruitment yeah, I've, I could go on and on management finance yeah so these these skills if these if these um let's say young criminals knew that they had some core skills that were easily transferable into the corporate world or even uh, in, in, in uh, you know, public life, maybe they would have uh, choose a very <laughs> different career options but anyway that 's just a, a wild thought from from me listen, thank you all very very much for your time and contributing it's been a real pleasure again uh I, I get the feeling that this isn't the last we're going to see of you all or hear of you all uh i hope that's <laughs> the case uh uh I, I sincerely want to get you all back on because i think the um uh the, the, the conversation is uh, fruitful uh, and, and beneficial certainly to the listener and i, I enjoy it. so thank you very very much uh this has been ordinary people thank you for listening and good night thank that's you good night Okay. Good
1: night. Good